Good morning. Do greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Apologize for getting started a little bit late this morning. We have a lot going on uh, this morning, which is a good thing. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I have ever done this since I have ministered here. But this morning we have both the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the sacrament of baptism, not only this morning, but this evening as well. So it's a a wonderful day, a day we can give thanks to the Lord and and glory in his means of grace. Um, We do have a bit of an odd communion procedure for today. The the bread is behind me, and we have them in little, um, what do you call those, John? Muffin paper. Muffin paper. That somehow made me feel less masculine. (laughs) But that's to prevent the bread from getting touched. Uh, So I'd ask you to bear with us if we we miss something. If I forget the bread is behind me here, just uh, bear with us. Um, The elders will serve you, and the the serving plates won't leave their hands. So they'll just serve you. You can take your your element, and then they'll move on. Um, Also, you may remember uh, a few months ago, we sent out an email uh, wanting your feedback regarding service times. Uh, We suggested a change in service time to 9.30 instead of 9.45 for the morning service, and then 5 p.m. instead of 5.30 uh, for the evening service, and the the response to that was overwhelmingly positive, and so we do plan to move forward with that sometime in the near future. Uh, we didn't want to do it just yet because we had so many um, things to think about already, um, but I just wanted to alert you to that. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you informed on that, and if deacons, if you could just make a note, because that will mean changes to the website, to the, to the sign out front, and I'm sure something else I'm missing. Uh, there is a gift basket. I believe that's in the, in the entryway in the back for, um, for baptisms, graduations. Um, so if you have cards or anything, you can drop those in there. Um, is, is Robin here? Robin, does that cover it? Okay. All right, thank you. Um, there also is... We, I'm sure you're, you're aware by now, we're not passing the, the offering plate, but there is a tithe box in the back, and now there's a fully active online giving platform on our website that, that you can use. Um, is there anything else I need to highlight before we begin? Yes. Baptism. Next week will be graduation, but we'll get an email out. Okay. okay. So baptism only. So if you have a graduation card, do not put it in that basket. (laughs) It will be returned to you. (laughs) Anything else that needs to be highlighted? Okay, with that, let's uh, quiet our hearts before the Lord, asking for his help, taking a moment to pray silently, and then this morning we'll be called to worship from Psalm 117.
Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take our psalm books and turn to 117B. 117 selection B, and if you are able to, both here and at home, let's rise to our feet to hear the call to worship, which comes from this 117th psalm. Let's hear our God as he calls us to worship him today. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's do that now. pray together. Our great God and heavenly Father, we come to you this day through your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, and we come heeding that call to praise you, to give you the glory that is due to your name. Lord, how we thank you that in Jesus Christ, the great Savior, that you have indeed revealed your salvation to the nations. And Lord, we know that we come before you as an undeserving yet privileged people this day. Lord, we do not deserve your love and your kindness, your grace. We do not deserve this privilege of coming before you and worshiping you. And yet, Lord, you are pleased to bestow upon us the great salvation that you have given in Christ, that you are pleased to call us together as your people, that you are not ashamed of sinners like us, but you promise that Jesus, your Son, is among us as our brother today. Lord, may we look to him as the ultimate worship leader, the one who leads and guides our praises, the one who it teaches us as our great prophet. Lord, we come to him this morning relying upon his final sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we come resting in his righteousness, a righteousness not our own, but one that is ours by faith. Lord, we know that our sins are many and they are great. We know that we take for granted these privileges. We know that we are so prone to forget you. And so we come before you confessing our many sins, but yet trusting that in Christ all of our sins are forgiven, that he has borne our guilt, he has borne our shame, and he has removed our sins as far as, as east is from west. 
Lord, our prayer today is that Christ would be glorified among us, or that we might decrease in order that he might increase, or give us a clear vision of his glory today. We pray, Lord, that we would be able with the eyes of faith to look beyond the signs and the seals that are set before us today, that we would look past the the mere symbol of water and baptism, the, the mere symbol of wine and bread, and that we would see our gracious Savior and the cleansing that he has brought to us by the blood of his cross. Lord, be glorified among us today. Sanctify us by your truth. And we do now come before you, praying as you have taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. We needed more water, which is a good thing. As I mentioned already, we have the the great privilege both this morning and this evening of observing both sacraments. Uh, This morning, uh, Joe and Laura Brown will take the covenant of communicant membership, and their children, Clara and Cyrus, will will be baptized. And let me read from Ezekiel chapter 36. This is uh, verses 25 to 27, and I want you to notice the the connection between water and cleanness or cleansing. This is God uh, promising, making a promise to his people, a covenant promise. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now in that passage, which is the new covenant promise, we find something that we find throughout the Bible, and that is water is so often a symbol of the life-giving and cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. Water, God chose to use to symbolize to us the cleansing work of his Son, the cleansing work of his Holy Spirit. A baptism is a sacrament of the new covenant. It was ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament sacrament of circumcision. 
Now, as I always emphasize, the Bible does not teach, and we do not believe that baptism saves. The mere sprinkling of water on a child does not save, but rather it points to the need for saving faith in Jesus Christ. Our directory for worship says it this way, baptism applies the promises and obligations of the covenant to our children and calls them to personal repentance and faith as they come to years of understanding. A baptism today is going to mark out Clara and Cyrus as belonging to the covenant community. And that is a blessing that always belonged to believers and their children. That was a huge part of the old covenant, that, that believers and their children were included in the covenant. And since we know that privileges in Christ Jesus are always greater we know that that's certainly the case in the new covenant. So these two will be baptized into Jesus' name. And belonging to the church, belonging to the covenant community will be their birthright. They will grow up with all the benefits of being part of the church. And friends, we should not presume the inactivity of the Spirit in the lives of these children. In other words, we should remember this symbol as a visible sign and seal of God's promise to work by His Spirit in these children. As they grow up, they're going to hear the Word preached. They're going to be prayed for. They're going to be raised in a covenant home. They're going to enjoy all the benefits of the covenant, and we fully trust that the Spirit will then work through those means to bring them to saving faith. And our prayer should always be that the cleansing that will be symbolized here will become a reality in their lives that one day Clara and Cyrus would come to see their need for cleansing and receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation. Now, our directory for worship also has this exhortation to the rest of you. It says the congregation should be encouraged to reflect on their own baptism and to repent of their sins against God, to stir up their faith, and so to improve and make right use of their baptism. And so may this be an occasion for you to remember your baptism. And what was symbolized in it? The cleansing that you need through the blood of Jesus Christ. The fact that you are members of his covenant and therefore you should be called to repent of your sins and to engage in greater faith in Christ. If I could have the Browns come up, come up on this side here. So the Browns will first 
take the covenant of communicant membership, and then that will also involve a vow for you, and you can respond when I, when I propound that to you by saying, we do, and then it will be the same with the covenant of baptism, where you, we'll have a vow for you as well. Now, Joe and Laura, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God, the only infallible rule for faith and life? We do. Do you believe in the one living and true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as revealed in the Scriptures? We do. Do you repent of your sin, confess your guilt and helplessness as a sinner against God, profess Jesus Christ, Son of God, as your Savior and Lord, and dedicate yourself to his service? Do you promise that you will endeavor to forsake all sin and to conform your life to his teaching and example? We do. This is the long one. Do you promise to submit in the Lord to the teaching and government of this church as being based upon the scriptures and described in substance in the constitution of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America? Do you recognize your responsibility to work with others in the church, and do you promise to support and encourage them in their service to the Lord? In case you should need correction in doctrine or life, do you promise to respect the authority and discipline of the church? We do. we do. To the end that you may grow in the Christian life, you promise that you will diligently read the Bible, engage in private prayer, keep the Lord's Day, regularly attend the worship services, observe the appointed sacraments, and give to the Lord's work as he shall prosper you. Do you purpose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all the relationships of life, faithfully to perform your whole duty as a true servant of Jesus Christ and seek to win others to him? We do. Do you make this profession of faith and purpose in the presence of God, in humble reliance upon his grace, as you desire to give your account with joy at the last great day? We do. Now, for you, the congregation, again, you can uh, symbolize your agreement by saying, we do. Do you, the members of this congregation, welcome into your fellowship these who have now professed their faith in Jesus Christ and having been received by your session, and do you promise to help and encourage them in the Christian life? We do. Amen. Now the vows for baptism. Joe and Laura, do you believe that these children are possessions of God entrusted to your care? We do. In this life, do you promise to provide for their temporal well-being, to teach them to love God and his word, the Bible, and to provide them with a God-centered education? We do. Do you promise to teach them of their sinful nature, of the plan of salvation which centers in Christ Jesus and of their own personal need of a relationship with Christ. We do. To the end that they may grow in the Christian life, do you promise to pray for them and to train them to read the Bible, to pray, to keep the Lord's day, and to understand the nature of the church, the value of its worship and fellowship, and their need to seek communicant membership in the church? Do you promise to lead them by your example and parental discipline, exercised in love, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
in all the relationships of life? We do. Do you make these promises in the presence of God in humble reliance upon his grace as you desire to give your account with joy at the last great day? Now, for you as the congregation, for these children who are about to be baptized, do you, the members of this congregation, receive Clara and Cyrus into your fellowship and promise to pray for them and to help and encourage Joe and Laura as they seek to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? We do. Amen. As I always remind you when we... Uh, our, our baptism takes place in the midst of a prayer. So when you hear me pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the church, open your eyes or you miss the baptisms. <laughs> oh. well, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you love us so much that you condescend to us to give us these visible signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Lord, you know how weak we are. You know how prone we are to doubt your promises to us and to our covenant children. And so we thank you, O God, for a visible sign and seal of the cleansing and the forgiveness of sins that is in Christ Jesus. We pray that by your Spirit, you would make this sacrament a true means of grace. Lord, that these children would be consecrated to the Lord that they would be yours. And we do now ask, Lord, that you would hereby set apart this water from a common to a sacramental use in the name and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only King of the church. Clara Marie Brown. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Cyrus Biven Brown, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you are... God, and beside you there is no other. You are the covenant God, and our great hope, Lord, is not in the fact that we are covenant keepers, for we know we are covenant breakers. But our great hope is in our covenant head, Jesus Christ, the one who died for the sins of his people, the one who called to the little children to come to him. And so we pray, Lord, that these children would be covenant keepers, that they would be found in their covenant head, Jesus Christ. Lord, bless them, keep them, make your face to shine upon them. Lord, may the cleansing that is symbolized here today become a reality in their life. And may they come to know the one who is truth, the Lord Jesus. We commit them to you. We pray that you might strengthen Joe and Laura, as they seek to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Lord, help us as a congregation to uphold our vows to help this family. And we pray it all might be for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
Let's take our psalm books and we'll give thanks to the Lord singing 25B. 25B, and I chose this psalm because it reminds us that our hope in the covenant of grace is that God never forgets his covenant. And as we have seen the covenant signed and administered, that's our great hope. And we should never presume the inactivity of God in the lives of these children. Uh, it's the third stanza, second line down. The knowledge of his covenant he unto them will show. And one of the things we'll think about tonight in the sermon tonight, that with these covenant signs, we are not the only ones seeing the signs that they are signs to God as well, that he is pleased to be prompted to memory of his promises by seeing these covenant signs. And so if you're able to, let's stand and we'll give thanks, singing 25B. standing for prayer. Our great God and Savior, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we come before you and we bless you for your marvelous grace that you have shown to us. Lord, how we thank you that you have not left us in this world without hope. You have redeemed us by the blood of the cross you continue to speak to us in your Son and by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as you do so, Lord, we are comforted that you speak to us as a father does to his children. 
And yet, Lord, we come confessing that we are disobedient children. Lord, that we so often resist your love and your grace and your correction. And so we pray, O oh God, that you might forgive us our sins. We know that we have transgressed your law and thought, word, and deed. We pray that you might cause us to mourn over our sin. And as we do that, that we might be driven to the cross of Jesus Christ and comforted by him. Lord, give us growth in grace. Kill our sin that it might not kill us. Lord, sanctify us by your word and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us a spirit wrought resolve to forsake sin and to embrace Jesus Christ more. Lord, sustain us in our weakness. Give us grace to help in our time of need. Lord, lead us to look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, use your means of grace today to increase our love for our Savior. Give us a clear vision of him that we might see how wonderful and beautiful a Savior he is. Pray, Lord, that we might grow in our love for one another, or that we might grow in our love for the lost and have the same pity that Christ had upon those who he said were like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, we pray that the gospel of peace might go forth in our nation. We know that your gospel brings healing to the nations. We pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be made great, that it would be made known, that sinners would come to know him and love him. Lord, we thank you for the Larsons, for Neil and Leah and the baby. Lord, continue to uphold them and sanctify them by your truth. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for the grace that you have shown them. Lord, that even as they have walked that dark valley of the, the shadow of death and mourn the loss of Gabe, Lord, we, we see your grace tangible, evident in their life. We pray that you might, Lord, bring health to Leah and to the baby. We pray for a, a healthy, safe delivery. Lord, we look forward to the joyous arrival of this child. Lord, bless them and, and keep them. We thank you for Chad and Yvonne as well, Lord, and pray that you might continue to grant them growth in grace. Knit them more tightly into their head, Jesus Christ. Bless their marriage, Lord. Cause them to love one another Enable Chad to love Yvonne in a sacrificial way, in the way that Christ gave himself for us as the church. I pray that you would help Yvonne to submit to him as unto the Lord. Lord, be with them in their respective jobs that you might give them grace and uphold them. Lord, make their path straight regarding the future. Lord, sustain these, watch over these for your sake. 
Lord, we pray for our beloved brothers and sisters up in Tri-Lakes this morning and ask that you might continue to bless them and, and sanctify them, that they might know the one who is true more and more. Lord, be with Joseph and his family. Sustain him and his ministry there. We pray for the session. We pray for unity in the congregation. Lord, we pray that you might provide a building for them to meet their needs. We remember the Mann family this morning as they mourn the loss of Bob. Lord, we give you thanks for the life that you gave to Bob, the grace that you gave him. Lord, you walked with him in the years of his strength. You walked with him in the years of his frailty, and you walked with him even in his death. Lord, we rejoice in your faithfulness to this saint. We thank you how Christ in him is an example to us of how to live and die by faith. And so, Lord, may we mourn with those who mourn, but may we also rejoice that you called, you called your child home. Pray especially for Roger and Cheryl, Keith and Greg, that you might comfort them or that you might give them a clear vision of the risen Savior and of their dad reigning with Christ, worshiping with him. Lord, we do ask now that you would prepare our hearts to hear the word preached and to come to your table. We pray that Christ now might become our teacher and his spirit, our guide, that you might give us ears to hear, that you might anoint your sinful servant and work in spite of my weakness and sin. Lord, lead us to Christ. Make the simple-hearted wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ this day. Lord, bring all of these things to your throne of grace with confidence, to the power of your Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Let's... Do I have a... I don't. You may be seated. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles and open with me to Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. Second Corinthians chapter 13, reading verses 5 and 6 of that chapter and thinking about the theme this morning of self-examination. So congregation, let's give our careful hearing to the living, abiding, inerrant word of our God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. 
Amen. Again, we trust that the Spirit will add his blessing to the word as it has been read, and it will be now preached and heard. Well, as I mentioned, our theme for this morning is self-examination. There was an article written not too long ago entitled, Selfies, Narcissism, and Social Media. And that article reported that there are roughly 93 million selfies taken every day. Now pause to take, take that in for a second. 93 million pictures that people take of themselves every single day. Another poll revealed that one out of every three photos taken by 18 to 24-year-olds is a selfie. Add to that that each selfie takes an average of 12 minutes to complete. Between taking, retaking, cropping, editing, uploading, 12 minutes per selfie. And therefore, it's estimated that millennials spend 70 to 100 minutes a week on selfies. We live in a time where people are devoted to self-exposure. People in our culture spend a great deal of time exhibiting themselves to the world. But while self-exposure or self-exhibition are very popular, self-examination is not. You could say that as a culture, we're into ourselves, but in the wrong way. The Bible calls us as Christians not to self-exhibition, but to self-examination. We are repeatedly called to test ourselves, to judge ourselves, to, to look closely at our lives and our hearts. And as we prepare to come to the table this morning, I want to emphasize to you that the Bible teaches that self-examination is to be a way of life for us as Christians. I think all too often when we think of self-examination, we only think about it in terms of the Lord's Supper. We, of course, are called to examine ourselves when we come to the table, but the Bible calls us to self-examination as a way of life. Not something that we just do once a month or whenever we come to the Lord's table, but it's a way of life. It's that important. Self-examination deals with the state of your soul. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and what does the way that you are living say about your profession in Christ? It's a critical subject. And so this morning, as we ready ourselves to come to the Lord's table for fir the first time in a very long time, I want us to think briefly about this command to examine ourselves. And we'll do so using two questions. First, why should we do it? Second, how do we do it? I think first, to understand why it's so important, we, we need to understand why we should actually do it. And then secondly, how we do it. 
So let's first think about why you should examine yourself. Well, the first and most compelling reason is simply because God commands it. It's commanded by God. God calls us to do this. And if God calls us to do this, then it must be good and necessary for us, and it must benefit us. Either by direct command or example, we see throughout the Bible that self-examination is to be a way of life for us. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Job 13.23, how many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Lamentations 3.40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Haggai 1.5, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And we, of course, know how prominent that idea is in the New Testament as well. 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll read in a, a little while, we're called to examine ourselves. Galatians 6.4, let each one test his own work. That's the most compelling reason why we should do it. Simply that God commands it. And we know that if God commands us to do something, that it must be for our good. It must be beneficial to us. But secondly, we should do it because it's neglected. It's neglected. This is not something that comes naturally to us. It's a critical subject, and yet if it were left up to us, we would not do it. On two occasions... In 1 Corinthians 11, and in our text in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul called the Corinthians to examine themselves. And that command came in a striking context. We read these two letters, and we find that the Corinthians were examining everyone except themselves. They were hypercritical of Paul. He couldn't do anything right in their eyes. They were hypercritical of those outside the church. They were hypercritical of their brothers and sisters inside the church. And it is in that context that Paul says, examine yourselves. And we can see that tendency in ourselves. We're prone to examine everyone else closely except for ourselves. Examining others is easy. It doesn't cost us anything. We tend to neglect self-examination. And the Lord graciously protects us from this neglect by calling us to examine ourselves. But thirdly, we should do it because of the danger of deception. 
we can easily deceive ourselves about our spiritual condition. We can either deceive ourselves about our salvation, or we can deceive ourselves about our sanctification. In other words, we can think we're doing okay, but in the end, we're not doing okay. I think many of us have had the, I'm probably indicting myself here, but many have had the experience, you think you're ready for an exam. You think you got it down, and then you take it and you bomb it because you weren't ready. And that can happen spiritually. And we see it in the history of God's people. This propensity towards self-deception. We see it in the prophets. We find prophets like Jeremiah warning God's people. Warning them that his judgment would come unless they repented. And yet so often the response was, we are fine. And of course, it was the Lord himself that said and warned that many on the last great day of judgment will say to him, Lord, Lord. But he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. This call to self-examination is the Lord's gracious protection against self-deception. But we should do it fourthly because it can encourage. It can encourage. Now I doubt that when many of you think of self-examination that you actually think it will be an encouraging exercise. But it can be. Because when it is done rightly, it leads us to Jesus Christ. Even as we look closely at our lives and we see our sin and our failures, we can also see steady growth and grace. We can see victory over some sins. We can see that our attitude towards sins has changed where now when we do commit those sins, we hate them. And even if we examine ourselves and we find terrible sins, there is hope of forgiveness. There is hope of change through a Savior who calls out to us and says, come to me. Find forgiveness in me. Find cleansing. Find victory. You see, even as we see areas that we need to grow in, we have hope of a great high priest. We have hope of the Holy Spirit who grant us the growth that we need. And friends, even if you ultimately fail the test and you realize I am not a genuine believer. There's hope. Jesus says, come to me and find salvation. Find forgiveness of sins in my cross. Find a righteousness in me that is not your own. Friends, this should result not in discouragement, but in encouragement. 
And I think one of the main reasons it, it encourages us is that self-examination brings us low. When we examine ourselves, it should bring us to that state of a humble and contrite heart which the Lord loves. And it is precisely that state that the Lord says to us, you are in that state, I will lift you up. Many of us have had the experience with our children where they're they're upset, they're inconsolable, and they're just looking down. You can't even get them to look up at you. And you gently reach out and you put your hand under their chin and you raise their face up. And you say, it's going to be okay. It's okay. I'm here. And that's what Christ does for us in our self-examination as we're, we're brought low. We're humbled before him. Then we come to his table and he graciously puts his hand under our chin and lifts up our gaze to him and says, I am here and I will forgive you and I will restore you and I will strengthen you to live for me. And so we should do it because it's commanded, because we tend to neglect it, because of the danger of deception, and because it can encourage us as we are led to Christ. But secondly, let's ask, how do we examine ourselves? How do we examine ourselves? I think when it comes to biblical commands, we can go to one of two erroneous extremes. On the one hand, we can overcomplicate God's commands and make them seem so intimidating that we're scared off from them. Or we can go to the other extreme and so overgeneralize them that we never really apply them to our own hearts. What does it mean to examine ourselves, or, or more so, how do we do it? Well, there are really two simple questions on this exam that come right out of verse 5 of our text. How do you examine yourself? Well, there's two questions. Are you in the faith, and is Christ in you? Are you in the faith, is Christ in you? First question, are you in the faith? Now, when we come upon that word faith in the Bible, it can have two meanings. It can, on the one hand, refer to our own act of believing and trusting in Christ. But it can also refer to the body of truth that we believe. The gospel, the word of God. For example, Jude says, defend the faith once delivered. And what he means is defend this, defend the body of truth, defend the gospel. And that's what is in view here. Are you in the faith? In other words, do you believe the whole counsel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you embrace the whole Word of God as truth? Do you pick and 
choose what is truth or you embrace it all? And I think the answer to this is a little more tricky than it seems because I think all of us here will acknowledge that this is the very word of God and we affirm that. And yet the true litmus test of whether we are in the faith, whether we really believe the whole counsel of God, the real litmus test is to look at our lives. to look at our behaviors, to look at our attitudes, to look at our beliefs. Friends, there's an erroneous view today that somehow doctrine is not practical. You may hear people say, well, we're not about doctrine, we're about living for Jesus. But if you don't know what Jesus says, you cannot live for him. And so if you are, for example, angry or frustrated or unhappy with the way that things are going in your life, then you're revealing that you don't really believe that God is working all things for your good, that you really don't believe in his gracious providence. Or if you're committing sexual immorality, You're revealing that you're not believing what God's word says about his design for human sexuality and the fulfillment and the enjoyment that can be had in it within the confines of marriage. If you're paralyzed by anxiety, you're revealing that you're not trusting in the Lord's goodness and provision Maybe you're trying to control your life and when you feel like you can't, you're paralyzed by anxiety. See, these things often reveal that we have strayed from the faith. And I think as we ask this question, it is good for us to test ourselves in areas that are areas of pressure in our culture right now. Materialism, sexual immorality, anti-authoritarianism, narcissism. Now this is the more objective question. Do you have knowledge of, do you give assent to the body of truth that is the scriptures? And does your life reflect that? But the second question is more personal. Is Christ in you? Have you received Christ yourself? Friends, I've said this before. I think some of you are aware of how theologians have characterized saving faith with three aspects. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge of the truth, knowledge of the body of truth that is the faith, assent that it is indeed true, but then there's the critical element of a personal trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what this question gets at. Is Christ in you? And I bring this up because I fear in American Christianity today, 
Many are content to call them Christian, themselves Christians, and all they have is knowledge and assent. They know the gospel, they assent that it is true, but they have never personally received and rested upon Christ for salvation. Is Christ in you? Now, how do we know if Christ is in us? Well, let me give you four key words that you can use to answer or ask the question, however you want to think about it. How do we know if Christ is in us? Well, the first word is confidence. Confidence. In other words, in whom does your confidence lie? Is your hope of salvation and eternal life in Christ alone? That's a sure sign that Christ is in you. That when you think of your salvation, when you think of your cleansing from sin, your hope of eternal life, the only person you think of is Christ. Not you, not anything that you have done, not anything else but only Christ. Are you looking away from yourself, looking from everything else to Christ alone? Do you have a confidence that he has died for you, he has taken away your sin, he has put away your shame and your guilt? And he has given you a righteousness not your own. And that in him you have been declared righteous. That in him you have been adopted into the family of God. And the basis for this is nothing but Christ. A total confidence. And if you think about it, that's really an odd answer to an exam question. What's your hope of passing this exam? Someone else passed it for me. Confidence in someone else. Confidence in Christ. His person, his work in your place. The second word is conversation. Conversation. When you are in a relationship with somebody, you have conversation with them. And there are two sides of conversation. Extroverts need to be reminded that listening is part of conversation. Introverts need to be reminded that talking is part of conversation. Listening and talking, the two sides of conversation. When you love someone... You converse with them, you listen, and you talk. Do you listen to Christ? Jesus said his sheep listen to his voice. Do you hear his voice and listen to him? Do you listen as he speaks to you either in the preaching of the word, even in the sacraments, 
Do you listen as he speaks to you through his spirit in your own Bible reading? Do you listen to him as he speaks to you through the counsel, the biblical counsel of godly people? Do you listen? And the other side of conversation is talking. Do you pray? Do you speak to the Lord? Do you listen to what he says and then respond in conversation, talking with him in prayer, asking for his help, seeking his forgiveness, expressing your gratitude to him? Is there conversation? The third word is care. Care. And what I mean by that is, is there a tender care and love for the Savior who first loved you? Is there a sensitivity to his presence in your life? Do you care that you're living your life in the all-seeing presence of the living God? Do you take care not to offend him or grieve him by your sin? Do you recognize that you're in a relationship with a living person? The God of heaven and earth lives in you. We are called to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you do that? Do you care to please him? And when you don't please him, do you care? And that leads to the fourth word, and it's confession. Confession. As we take this exam, we find sin in our life, and we, we care that we have offended our gracious Savior, then do you confess your sin? Is your heart a heart that is sensitive to sin? Do you go quickly to Christ, asking for his grace and mercy and forgiveness? Are you open and honest with God about your sin? Do you believe that when you sin, you have broken covenant with the living God? And you go to him and you confess that sin in hope of forgiveness and grace. Now friends, these questions in this life will not be answered perfectly. They're going to reveal sin and weakness and failure. But the overarching critical question I want you to get is that when you examine yourself today, do you see a person that is looking away from themselves to Christ alone? Do you see a person broken over sin, a humble and contrite heart pursuing Christ. That is why this can be encouraging. Because self-examination should drive you to Jesus Christ 
Friends, that's the great beauty of it, and that's why it can be a blessing and encouragement to us. And even this morning, as we examine ourselves and we come to conviction of our sin, we can still be encouraged to come to the table. Because even in this self-examination, as Jesus comes to us by his Spirit and he wounds us, and he breaks us, even as he does that, he does it so he can heal us. And it's as those when we come to the table today, we come broken and contrite knowing that we do not deserve to come and dine with our Savior. And yet, it's as though he reaches out, puts his hand under our chin, and says, look at me. I forgive you. I love you. I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I will give you the grace that you need to live for me. Now go and sin no more. Friends, let your self-examination end with Christ. And I promise you will be encouraged as you see his grace and his tender care for you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your gracious call to us to look at ourselves, to examine ourselves, to be sure we are in the faith, to be sure that Christ is in us, Lord, we thank you that even as you wound us, even as you break us, oh Lord, it is so that you can heal us and cause us to see the greatness of Christ in a greater way. Lord, help us by your Spirit to engage in true self-examination, not just today, but as a way of life. Lord, forgive us for being so critical of others, and yet so often failing to examine ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would assure us of your forgiveness and grace and love as we come to your table this day. We pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen. If you still have your Bibles before you, Let's open together to 1 Corinthians 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read those words of warning and institution. And as I mentioned earlier, I think it's, it's easy for us to forget that those wonderful words of institution came, they came to a congregation in crisis and a congregation divided and a congregation critical of everyone else and not examining themselves. And I think it's always helpful for us to remember that, that even as we, we come to the Lord's table, that we need it to protect us from, from division, from a critical spirit, and to fix our eyes upon Christ. So let's give our Careful hearing to God's word, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The Lord Jesus instituted these sacraments because he loves us. Because he knows that our faith is weak and that we need these visual confirmations that he loves us, that he forgives us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. And the mere fact that we have been given these two sacraments in and of themselves are a token of Christ's love for you. Even as you look at them this day, they remind you that he loves you, he will never leave you or forsake you, and that he knows that your faith is weak and it needs strengthening. And yet it is precisely because these come to us from the hand of such a gracious Savior that there is to be such care in approaching them. That we are given that sobering warning as we come to the table We are told to come in a worthy manner. We're told to come with self-examination. We can't come carelessly. This is a table like no other. It's the Lord's table. It belongs to him. It's the Lord's supper. It belongs to him, and it is communion with him. And therefore, we need to approach it with great care. Approaching it with that self-examination. And the, the, the wonderful irony is you know, Paul warns against coming in an unworthy manner. You come in an unworthy manner when you come thinking you're worthy. The way to come in a worthy manner is to realize how unworthy you are apart from Christ. We come in a worthy manner when we come with that humble and contrite heart, coming to Christ, expecting Him to lift us up. So friends, if you are prepared to come in that way this morning, to come with that humble and contrite heart, you might be lifted up. Hear these wonderful words of encouragement from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Amen. Well, let's take our psalm books and open to 32C. And if you're able to do so, let's stand as we prepare to come to the table, 32C. As we read on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he took a cup and he made those the signs and seals of the new covenant that he would inaugurate by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And following his example today and ministering in his name, we really do the same thing that our brothers and sisters have been doing for over 2,000 years. We look upon these sacramental signs and seals as the visible symbols of his body that was 
broken for us, his blood that was shed for our sins, and we were reminded of his finished work on our behalf. After our Lord took those elements, we are told that he blessed them, and so let's bow our heads and do that now. Our great God and Savior, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the great salvation and the great Savior that we have. We thank you for his tender care for us. We thank you that he condescends to our weakness in order to help us and assure us that he loves us and that he will never leave us or forsake us. We do pray now that your Holy Spirit would make this a true means of grace to us, Lord, that you would give us the eyes of faith that we might look behind, beyond the signs and the seals, beyond the bread and the wine, beyond the ministers who serve and see nothing but Christ. We might see his body broken, his blood shed, that we might see the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Lord, we do hereby in your name set apart these elements from a common to a sacramental use in the name and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, Zion's only King and Head. Our Lord took bread, and in the presence of his disciples, he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, following his example, I break this bread in the presence of you, his disciples, as the sacramental sign and seal of his body that was given for you.
it's, it's like the loaves and the fishes. Thanks, guys. commented in the past about how we need to look beyond just the symbols of the bread and wine, but there are symbolic actions around the Lord's Supper. And we are told that Jesus took, blessed, broke, and gave that bread. And that is all very significant. It reminds us that Jesus took a body to himself, that that body was then blessed or consecrated for a special service to the Lord to offer obedience in your place. That body was then given or broken for you, for your sins. And then the fact that Jesus gave the bread symbolizes the sovereign distribution of the benefits of his death. That you did not choose him, he chose you. He gave those sovereign benefits of salvation to you. Our Lord said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, our Lord took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
Our Lord said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. He said, as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes. turn in our Psalters to 116b. 116b, as we respond to the word and sacrament this morning, 116b, if you're able to, let's stand together. Amen. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. If you could please be seated and wait for the deacons to come and release you. Just pretend like it's a formal wedding. (laughs) 